Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile, news, tips, tricks, and best practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, Thanks for uh, joining the show. On today's show, we have on the line Harold Jarkey. Um, and I, yeah, Harold, I'm just going to read right off your website because you've you've obviously crafted that message so well. Um, a short short bio on Harold. Harold helps organizations learn, work, and innovate in the network era. He's been described as a keen sub- subversive of the last century's management and education models. Uh, people have connected with Harold over the past decade through uh, his blog, and you can get that at jarkey.com. That's J-A-R-C-H-E.com. And, uh, and professional services uh, for innovative ideas on leadership, social business, collaboration. Uh, and he also distills heady topics like complexity theory into practical advice. Uh, and that's way above my head, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> Harold is a, uh, a graduate of the Royal Military College uh, and served over 20 years in the Canadian Forces in leadership and training roles. And, and Harold, you and I have something in common there, and that's that my... Uh, my grandfather, who just passed a couple of years ago, retired from uh, the Canadian Armed Forces. So, um, welcome aboard, sir. Thank you very much, Doug. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's, it's a bit of an outreach for me because uh, marketing technology is uh, not where I usually play, but I think it's something we could talk about some of the connections between where where I am and where you are because there seem to be a lot of them. Well, I think so. You know, and I, I. I think that sometimes people have the wrong focus uh, and they focus on the technology primarily um, when that's not the purpose. You know, the the platform should be something that assists you with the process that you're trying to get into shape, not replace the process, you know, and and make you conform somehow. Uh, And and it's something that I think even internally, you know, Marty, Jen, and, and I, you know, we test tons of different products every different week. And um, and we're always looking for the one that fits, you know, how we deal with our audience and, and, and our community rather than, you know, just trying to shove something in, which is what we've done a couple times now, too. <laughs> so, Harold, how, how did you, uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, 20 years in the Canadian Forces, that's, that's, that's a, a heck of a position to have. Um, and a and a heck of a head start. Um, I'm I'm a Navy vet uh, from the U.S. Navy, so I have a lot of respect for uh, for folks that have been in the military. I think people think that all it is is giving orders and uh, and people listen, so it's a lot easier. Um, but it's it's really not. It's you know how to motivate people, how to uh, you know how to get people to to work as teams uh, in in situations where you lack resources and time and and budget uh, and everything else, and and so it's a it's a lot greater a challenge than people might respect. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you realized that I joined the army when I was 12 years old, right? That's why I've been out for 40. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I retired 14 years ago. Yeah, um, I, I joined the army right out of high school. Went to 
the Royal Military College, which is uh, uh, similar to West Point in the United States. And uh, I, st- I actually had three careers while in the military. I, I was an infantry officer for about seven years, and then I served a stint as a, um, as a medical um, hospital administrator. And I finished up as a training specialist working actually as an Army uniform, but, wearing, uh, but working for the Air Force. And I got, that's when I got into flight simulation. That was just the early days of computer-based training, and the web was just starting to appear about that time. And uh, that's actually what, when I left the military, it was just at the sort of the dawn of the e-learning era, and I was pretty excited about what all this tech, this new connected technology could do. But like you mentioned about the military, is that I actually wrote a blog post maybe a number of years ago about the things that I learned from the military. And the communications tools that I learned, the basic things, what in the Army we had a thing called the combat estimate that we used to do, and another thing called battle procedure, which is just a logical way to approach a problem and get things done and be able to do something uh, at a select date and time. And those are tools that, you know, I still use or, you know, some form of them. So, you know, what I learned in the military definitely uh, stands, uh, stood me in good stead. I said, I've been out of the military now for 14 years. And... Uh, and, you know, it sort of coincided with the web. I, I, I retired in 1998. The web was very new. And since then, I, um, I worked for a university-based uh, research and consulting group called the Center for Learning Technologies, where we were starting to play with some stuff that nowadays is commonplace. We were working on knowledge management systems, performance support systems, job aids, using uh, web browsers and things like that. And uh, nine years ago, I became... Uh, an independent consultant. Um, I was sort of um, quit and fired and laid off all on the same day. <laughs> and, um, and and for the past nine years, I've been uh, I, I've been doing uh, the independent thing. And then three years ago, I joined forces with my um, with my mates at the Internet Time Alliance. So I can go into a little bit more detail on that if you'd like to. No, I I mean that's 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 incredible, and it, and it seems like. Um, your your focus is really from an e-learning standpoint and, and a leadership standpoint on the consulting that you do. Would that be fair to say? I'm, it's interesting. I started on an e-learning standpoint. Um, e-learning had a lot of promise uh, in at around 2000, and we really saw it. A lot of us saw it as a, as a way in which uh, uh, we could help people learn better and not. Uh, unfortunately, what's happened with the e-learning field per se is um, it's uh, it's become uh, what I call a shovelware business. You know, you just shovel more stuff and more courses at people. I don't know too many people who actually take an e-learning course and say that they really enjoy it. Um, so for me, I'd say where I work uh, is at the intersection of learning, business, and technology. So is it how do you help organizations uh, work faster and better and communicate better using appropriate technologies, and then, of course, the whole notion of, um, uh, of keeping up. And uh, I guess one of my sayings is that learning is work and work is learning uh, because today that's what we're seeing, and I think that's the big challenge. So e-learning background, today more of a business focus probably that's evolved over the last, over the last decade is that how do you get organizations and the people in the organizations to integrate their learning and their work so that they can, you know, react to, I mean, all the changes you were talking about, we had to, you had to figure out some new technology that you were using, and how did you figure it out? You, you used it, you know, and it may not have worked. I think that more and more people have to be shifting that attitude that learning is not something that you go and get. It's not, 
uh, you don't have an edu- you don't get the education, the piece of paper, and now you can stop learning. And and I think that that's the big shift that uh, the business as well as uh, the education and training world have to adapt to. And and with business trying to adapt to that, I mean, it, se- it seems, uh, and this is just my opinion, that there's kind of these two, um, you know, these two kinds of businesses out there. There's there's the business that absolutely puts a return on investment on getting their employees educated and giving them time to absorb this information. And then there's businesses that don't believe in that. They believe, well, you you, you hire smart people and it's their job to, you know, kind of keep up on this stuff. And if they don't, we we, uh, we replace them with someone who does. Um, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of companies somewhere in the middle too. But, um, you know, my past, I've been lucky enough to, to always – work with companies that have appreciated the fact that I was staying up, you know, and going to conferences and, and everything else to supplement um, the information that, that I was learning on the job as well. Um, do you see uh, more of an adoption from companies uh, that they're starting to see that, you know, learning um, and, and of course, this will, you know, totally fold into social business as well, but learning is part of uh, what makes businesses successful? I, people are talking about it, and they're talking about it more than they did before. Uh, the whole notion of Enterprise 2.0 uh, social business uh, in terms of uh, organizations have to be more communicative both internally and externally is definitely happening. Um, I think that the learning component, because we've thought of it too much as education and training, is, uh, is, miss, is missing out. Uh, to, I take an example. You, being ex-military yourself, you probably remember. You know, we used to take our training. We'd go away on a course, and you'd come back. But when you went on ship or wherever else you were going to be, is that you did what, what in the Canadian Forces we called collective training. It was where the ship went through its maneuvers, and then, and you really probably learned a lot more doing that kind of stuff. The problem in business is that when you're on the job, you've got to do the job, and there's very little time for, hey, let's try something completely different. And I think that that sort of collective training, uh, collective learning uh, perspective is missing. Now, some, co- some companies sort of get it, like Google with their famous 20% time off, but you know, that's only given to software engineers. You know, software engineers get 20%, so basically a day a week in which they can work on their own projects because Google thinks that this is a good thing for them to innovate, try different things outside of their you know, more rigid work structure. Um, and uh, and that's a good thing, but the rest of Google doesn't get to do that. And I think that companies have got to come up with different models and uh, ways in which you can have people learning on their own, but not just sort of throwing them off to the wolves. How can the company, the organization, the extended enterprise support that whole notion of, of learning? And probably the biggest part that we, the biggest hurdle I think that companies and, and, and organizations are facing is a whole acceptance of failure because you can't learn without failing. And um, we don't really accept failure very well. So how do you then change, the, the, change it so that people can actually try something out? You know what, if it doesn't work, it's okay. And I think that, that that's the real big challenge in business right now. One, and you know, to that point, failure now is public, right? You know, I mean, there's there's very little, you know, there's there's very little backroom failure anymore in corporations. Almost everything is, you know, out in the open, and and so it it really takes a special culture to, you know, appreciate the fact that you can make mistakes. Uh, I, I I get annoyed at these companies that you know the Gap changes its logo, 
you know, 1,800 people scream about how stupid it is, so they immediately retract and retreat and, you know, swap back and everything else rather than, you know, educating the public on the change and, you know, telling them why they made the change and everything else. It seems like we're living in a world now that, you know, whether it's politics, whether it's marketing, anything, uh, this this zero tolerance is uh, is really something that we've got to overcome. Yeah, and somebody I was reading uh, a little while back, and someone was talking about the whole notion of ROI, return on investment. And they said that, you know, if you want to try something new and you want to sell it internally, if the I investment is really small, nobody cares, and I'll let you do it. And I think that that's what we have to do, is that we have to enable people to try little things, little experiments, that if they fail, they don't uh, they, they don't kill the company, kind of like a, you know the, the the Gap logo or something that, that, that's big and wide, and and all the news media are going to pick up. But maybe there's some small stuff that can be done. Try it out. If it succeeds, reinforce it. You know, give some more resources to it. And if it fails, then okay, we learn something and let's try something else. And I don't think that people are empowered enough to try those little kinds of experiments. Uh, that, to, to say, hey, let's try this thing out and see how it works. I think that that's missing uh, in our more centralized, controlled companies. And even you know, the, the web companies still, as they get bigger, I found that, they, that suddenly things become much more centralized and you have to ask permission before you just go out and try something. Bill, this is, uh, this is Marty. It's, it, that's interesting because we, uh, we had David Kay on our show recently, and uh, I don't know if you know David, but he is you know, one of the acknowledged experts in the whole field of knowledge management, and with the incredible shift from social being as much an internal phenomenon now as an external phenomenon with social collaboration solutions, um, you know, we're, we're, seeing the same, uh, we're seeing the same pitfalls and limitations that we saw with knowledge management back in the 90s. Um, you know, how do we get people to contribute on a regular basis? How, how are we able to capture the information uh, that we're exchanging with our customers and with our colleagues and, and package that up, if you will, so that we can reuse it? Um, that continues, I think, to be a, a, a major limitation when we talk about social collaboration. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um one of the things about uh, the, the social enterprise or enterprise 2.0 social business is that uh, I don't think that it can work without uh, democratization of the enterprise. And that means sharing control and sharing power um, because, that, because it's only in that kind of a shared environment where people actually feel like they have skin in the game, that they are respected, and that they have some say over what's going to happen. Are they going to be able to, uh, are they going to start really sharing uh, are they going to be uh, contributing uh, to these kinds of things, uh, to, to, to any activity? You know, the whole notion of, um, you know, I'm going to hang on to my knowledge because I don't want anybody else to know about it because I could lose my job. But you have to have trust in the organization that, no, you're not going to lose your job. And that's not just some silly mission statement or anything like that. It's these people are watching and they're saying, you know, well, so-and-so lost his job because he didn't upsell a client on something even though it was the right thing to do for the client. So, um so I, I think they, they they go hand in they go hand in glove, 
Um, but on the outside, what's I think this whole social business uh, enterprise 2.0 uh, initiative, I don't think it's a flavor of the month thing. I think it's our attempt to figure out how the heck do we deal with a world that is now hyper-connected. And that means that cycle time for uh, companies being created is, is shorter and shorter. Netscape is one of the first ones that worked in Internet time, and that's why we call our, our, our company the Internet Time Alliance, is because time has sped up because, the, because of the, the, the connectivity. And in order to deal with those things where your customers can react and group and can create a, uh, a nasty website <laughs> or they can make complaints about your logo faster than you can come up with a new logo, we have to have ways in which our feedback loops can work faster, we can react to them, and we can regroup and we can become more agile. And that is what social business about is about. And I think that the missing piece of that in a lot of conversations is that the enabler for social business is social learning. And that's how people share and work and collaborate. And like you were saying, is that they, um, uh, uh, they, they, they share their knowledge, usually through conversations, um, so, that, uh, so that other people know what's going on. Because if I don't tell you what I'm doing, how can you help me? There's a, there's a, a book, and, and I'm, you, you might know the author's name, but I'm going to screw it up because I can't remember it right now. But it's, uh, the book was Thinking Fast and Slow, and um, he likened ideas to, uh, to sexual relationships, and that's that you had to have two partners in it. And that, that often the best ideas actually came from the meeting of people that, that, you know, one person, let's say it's at a conference, and they have some partial knowledge of a, part, of a solution or an idea, and then another person has a, you know, partial solution and an idea. And it's only when they come together that anything can happen, that each of them independently can't actually produce you know, the business idea or the efficiency or anything, it always takes two people. And, and so there's there's always a need for, you know, the social business. There's always a need if you want to progress your business forward that, that you have effective communications between people. Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of mushy, you know, the, the, the notion that really we have to have better conversations or, you know, the, from the Clue Train Manifesto that says that markets are conversations. But when you, when you think about it, you take the example of somebody like a chef, you know, and a, you have a great world-class chef, and uh, and he writes a cookbook, right? And I, I buy the cookbook, and he's put all of his knowledge in here, right, because he's doing this knowledge sharing. And I take the cookbook, and I cook the uh, one of the recipes, and my meal's going to be just as good as his, right? <laughs> we know better than that. And, I, and that's the same thing with the type of work that more and more people are facing. It's complex kind of work that requires a lot of tacit knowledge. So tacit knowledge is the kind of stuff that we can't codify, that we can't sort of put down into a recipe book and say, this is exactly what needs to be done. It's that fuzzy stuff. It's that the know-how that you develop over years and in understanding the context and understanding relationships and all those other subtle things that we're not very good at communicating, but we're pretty good at understanding. And I think that when, you, when you're looking at organizations, if you need to be sharing more of that tacit knowledge, then you've got to find ways in which people can be having those kinds of conversations that are may on the surface look a little bit loosey-goosey, but really are the stuff that makes the team stick together. And that, you know, after you and I have a whole bunch of conversations about a lot of unrelated things, suddenly maybe we have better trust 
and maybe we can be able to, uh, is it, you know, I'll get, cut you some more slack as we're dealing with the problem, and we're able to deal with that problem better. And uh, so, I, I think that the, we, we have to be, we have to understand that this tacit knowledge that John Hagel and John Seeley Brown wrote a, a very good book on push versus pull, and they say that you know this tacit knowledge, the stuff that we can't write down, but it's that you know that know-how. Um, and that contextual stuff is very slow-flowing and sticky, and it's really hard to share. That's awesome. Well, well let's take a short break. When we get back, um, we'll just do a word from our sponsor, Deliver, their email marketing firm. Um, when we get back, let's talk about some of the practical, you know, advice that you can give companies, you know, small and large, you know, to kind of um, – Monitor this and and maybe some exercises for improvement. Um, here's here's a note from our folks at Deliver. Delivera has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Delivera helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services. From full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 best places to work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest-growing companies. Delivera partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delivera, visit www.delivera.com or call 866-915-9465. Tell them you heard about Delivera from the Marketing Technology Blog. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're we're here with uh, Harold Jarkey. Um, Harold, uh, before the break, I just asked, you know, when you're walking into a company or, or, or even not given the opportunity to walk into a company, um, do you know some of the signals or warning signs, you know, when, when things are going wrong? And, and what kind of exercises could you do to, you know, kind of help push a, a business in the right direction here? Well, one thing I've seen is that uh, as much as most uh, companies and industries think that they're special is that most pretty well have similar problems similar issues, and uh, and they're not that special. Now, you have to understand the context because everyone's context is a, is a little bit different. So that uh, I'm currently working with a pharmaceutical client. Their context is quite different from, uh, let's say, a manufacturing client. And, uh, you know, the big issues that people have are uh, I don't know what other people are doing. Um, time is the biggie. And uh, the time one is that I don't have time to stay up to date. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to, uh, uh, to review things in the detail that's required. And probably the biggest killer on that is, uh, are things like email and meetings. And a simple thing, and, and it has nothing to do with learning per se, is that you can reduce people's um, uh, wasted time. And there's some studies that show that up to 50% of time every day uh, at work is wasted dealing with unwanted communications, trying to find the right person, trying to schedule a meeting, you know, and just trying to get through your inbox. And uh, what's interesting is that the solution to that problem in a lot of cases is using social media appropriately. So if you post everything to 
through a blog instead of sending an email, people can have that pushed to them or they can pull it as they need it. Um, so the appropriate use of all of these technologies, because the technology seems to be the problem. I was complaining that I don't have time. I'm in this digital surround. But the technology is also the solution. And, uh, you know, I, I only go to meetings when I want to. Luckily, I'm a freelancer. And, you know, I don't waste much time in, um, uh, with, with email. I try to wean my clients off of email. I'm not, though I'm not overly successful with that. And um, yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think many, many of us are. But the solutions are, uh, in a lot of cases, using the social media. And that with that extra time that you get, what I noticed is that when I became a freelancer almost 10 years ago, is that I stopped commuting and I stopped going to useless meetings. All of that time uh, I then used for my learning. So, and that's where I, I got started up on the, the notion of personal knowledge management, develop frameworks for that. I read books. I write, uh, I'm in the process of writing a book. I write book reviews, and people say, well, where do you get the time? Well, I get the time because I try to stay away from the wasted time. So, yeah, wasted time is probably the big one that you can see in almost any organization. I, uh, we, were, we were joking the other day about um, online there's this, this site, it's the demotivational posters, you know, and it's kind of in opposite. I think it's despair.com. And, um, you know, yeah. one, of, one of the posters is teamwork. You know, you're, you're only as... Uh, Quick is your slowest person on the team, you know, and and it and it that's what always brings me to meeting time. The last the one of the last large companies I worked for, it was literally paralysis, and I, and I had a a friend of mine there. We were in the same exact position, and and um, we just saw that we were in meetings like seven hours a day, literally like seven hours a day. So. We couldn't get anything done, you know, and during the meetings we weren't paying attention because we were checking our email, you know, because we had all this email coming in. And then and then it was the weekends we would catch up on work, you know, kind of thing. And and uh, it was really funny because he was kind of a not a risk taker and I was, so I told him, I said, I'm not going to meetings anymore. And um, and he said, well, <laughs> you can't do that. And I said, no, I'm, I'm just not going. I said, um, so people would invite me and I wouldn't respond. And then I wouldn't go. And it was really funny because for like three weeks, I didn't go to any meetings and nobody missed me. Not a single person in the organization said, well, you know, you didn't show up to this meeting. You know, it was literally every meeting was, was useless. And what I found was most of the meetings were CYA meetings. You know, I want to get, I want to get the word out to everybody so that when I make a change and it fails, I covered my butt by telling you all that it might not work, you know, and, and um, and then the other ones were, you know, I, I don't want to take any responsibility. Let's do everything by consensus. And that way it's not my responsibility to do things. And I just saw these meetings were just ripping the company apart. They were just, you know, I, I likened it to if Honda put an emergency stop button on everybody's desk in the entire company, you know, and, and anybody could stop that button to stop the production line. <laughs> you know, so you had infinite opportunities to stop progress. And um, and I just think that, you know, it's just a huge part of organizations today that I think they miss, you know, and I'd love to hear your take on this, that, you know, ha having communication and having meetings and everything else is something that there are appropriate times to do that. But you also have to ensure that they're productive and you have to have you know, uh, either the tools in place or the process in place to ensure their success. 
Yeah, and you know the the answers are out there, and the answers are so visible. They're right in front of our faces. There's a Brazilian auto parts manufacturer called Semco, uh, run by uh, uh, Ricardo Semler. Um, past 25 years, the company has had in, uh, increasing profits every year. They have less than one percent turnover, and through a series of events and catastrophes and crises. Um, and also the direction of, of the owner CEO, they had become pretty well the world's most democratic company. All meetings are optional. You don't, nobody has to go to any meeting. Um, and if nobody shows up to your meeting, it doesn't matter even if you're the CEO, that means that there was no reason to have the meeting. Um, and uh, they, they do the same thing with recruiting, is that uh, for hiring interviews, whoever wants to show up to the interview can. They also vote for their bosses. Everybody's pay salary, pay scale is visible, and you, the people who work for you actually are the ones who authorize uh, whether or not you get paid, whatever it is. Um, and so, and, and that company is working really well. That company is uh, ha has been successful. People talk about it. It's a Harvard Business School case study, and everybody uh, everybody knows about it. But none of that has changed. You know, we we don't see that as the dominant model anymore, or yet. You know, even though even though it can work, and I, and I think that what, with with social media with the internet is that we have the tools, and the tools are now really cheap to be able to start one get rid of meetings. Okay, how do we get rid of meetings? We narrate our work. Well, what does narrating your work mean? Narrating your work means that you tell people what you're doing on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis, saying, hey, I'm working on the X report and I'm having some problems with it, or hey, I just finished this thing and now I'm off to this, or next week I have to do this, but I don't know how to, I have to interview somebody, but I don't know how to do it. And by everybody telling everybody else what they're doing and the whole notion of activity streaming or, or work streaming that we're seeing, that um, uh, you, you can alleviate the meetings because everybody can find out what everybody else is doing. You don't need that communication thing anymore because we have we have this these non-hierarchical communication tools, but we're still thinking in this hierarchical up-down kind of way. So the answers are there, but the culture and the will to change, particularly from the top, is is, is not there yet. But I think some of the crises that we're facing are gonna are gonna force companies to think differently. That's that's a uh, that's a I really uh, that's making my head spin just thinking about that because. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, results-only work environment. Uh, Ro, have you heard I of it? I listened to your interview that you did with the folks. I think it's wonderful. I'm a big fan of Ro. Well, and it, and it seems like it, it, you know one of the big challenges with Ro is the communication aspect. You know, you have some people within the organization that over communicate, some that under, some that like phone, and some that like email. <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing with uh, that. Yeah. That's a really nice thing about the about the the web things is that I mean, let's say I use let's say I only communicate using tools like Twitter or my blog, right? right. And, and let, let's say I do five thousand tweets a day. You don't have to read them, right? But if you send me five thousand emails a day, I have to check through and see if there's anything in them. I wonder so if that's. I, it, it, oh, go ahead. No, no, I, I'm just saying, but, but I, I think that using those kinds of technologies where people can sort of push it, can pull and skim, and as opposed to these little, you know, every time you create, you, you re reply to an email, it creates another copy of it. Um, and I think maybe somebody you need to get next on this, uh, on this show is uh, Luis Suarez, who works for IBM, 
and has been going. Um, he has a project called Inbox Zero. I think he's three years into uh, weaning his team and his customers off of email. He goes on vacation for two weeks and he's got six email waiting for him. Oh, that that that's just heaven. <laughs> In, invitation it, it is time. possible. I think I was at five o'clock yesterday. I was going through my last eighty emails. <laughs> You know, Harold, you, you mentioned uh, Doc Searle's uh, book, uh, Clue Train Manifesto. I think it's, what, 12 yeah. years old now? It's uh, achieving the age of a fine scotch. Um, you know, he just came out with his new book, The Intention Economy, and, and um, w one of the things that, that, that we're seeing, um, you know, within DK, obviously we uh, understand, or at least we think we understand inbound marketing pretty well. And, you know, with the shift of the conversation going from the company to the consumer, things like inbound marketing have become, quite frankly, more important than ever. And, and I think that trend will only continue. Um, what, what, are your, what are you seeing when you talk with your uh, clients about, you know, in this new social age, it's uh, always on everywhere, how are they responding to that new environment uh, from, a, from a marketing perspective? Marketing, I don't know too much about. Um, in terms of response, is that most of them are hampered by IT, is that uh, it, their department is blocking them, and a lot of them are actually working outside of IT, the whole, you know, the whole bring your own device movement that's going on, and because they're realizing that things are moving faster and faster. One interesting um, uh, anecdote I came across probably a couple of years ago now. We were doing a, uh, an online webinar and uh, there was a, a person from marketing or, or, or at Intuit, the software development company. And what they have done is that they actually moved their training department to be uh, under the marketing department, which most people go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, this is a very customer-centric company. And what they've done is that, is that they don't build any of their courses anymore. Because what they do is that they basically put it out. So instead of have, they used to have like a team of 12 uh, course designers. And now what they've got is, is they've got a, 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 about 100 accountants who are keen on doing design and the people who use Intuit software. And basically their customers build their training for them. They pay them for it, right? But the customers are the ones who are saying, yeah, you guys need a something to cover this kind of thing and let me do that for you. And then, the, and then the, the, the community says, yeah, we need that. And Intuit pays their customers to help their customers learn. So that's sort of like, that, that's, where, that's where I see a real potential is the integrating of learning into marketing, is helping your customers learn better, which I think is really part of, part of, part of marketing. So, so basically being helpful. <laughs> well, that's... Not just being helpful, but but giving them, you know, the whole you know the whole thing, you know, teach a man to fish and or uh, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish and you and you feed him for a life. But what about teach a man how to teach other people to fish? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that yes. becomes a thing, right? And I think that's the part that you want to be doing with you. You want to be enabling your customers uh, to uh, to basically help you get better, and because uh, they're the ones who know. So, it's, so it's, it's providing them the platform and the tool uh, to be able to uh, serve serve their community. And, and I, think, all, you know, I mean, they, you know, we work we work a lot in the technology field, and not only is it that the customers know, sometimes it's 
the customers that are actually using the technology and not the company making it. You know, so <laughs> so there's always. I remember I was sitting in a meeting a long time ago where um, a developer was in the room and the CEO was in the room and and the CEO was struggling with how difficult a task was and the developer said, "It's easy. You know, you just do one, two, three. And so uh, it was a it was a rather uncomfortable moment. But the CEO said, "Well, cool. Let's let's uh, open up the app and you go ahead and do it right now." And um, and so the head developer was sitting there and couldn't figure out how to do it. And and it was such an eye opener for the developer, you know, that, geez, I don't even use my own software that I'm creating for others, you know, um, and and uh, you know, of course, the CEO knew what was going to happen, um, but it, it it points to this exactly. I think customers are the perfect people to be educating, you know, one another on on these, and I think it's why you know going to user conferences is such a great idea too to see how customers are leveraging you know the investment that they're making in a in a certain technology and and you being able to walk out of there with ideas on how you could do the same for your company yeah and not just going to user conferences but being part of the user community over the year and uh, because i mean any company that thinks that there's more knowledge inside the company than outside the company is 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 delusional yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how big the company is. I mean, you compare how many how many programmers there are for um, a Microsoft pro- uh, uh, product, and you know, you maybe you have 50 or 100 or whatever working on it, and compare that to an open source Linux project where there could be thousands. And I think it's we can learn a lot from the open source community. It doesn't mean that we have to give everything away for free or anything like that. But I think that enabling the community and enabling the community to learn faster so you can learn faster from the community. But I think that's that's what marketing is, is all about today, I think. Again, I'm not a marketing expert, so No, I, I think it fits it fits perfectly with the with the big picture here. And that's what we that's what we see from um, you know, not only our clients but the uh, you know the, the marketplace at large and that is that when they attempt to develop those types of communities that, you know, it, it takes a lot of hard work up front. Uh, 90% of the effort is, is, is really participating actively in reaching out to those users. Um, and then over time you develop uh, this sort of a, a critical mass where the, the user community itself is, is more or less self-sustaining. But, but to your point, uh, the first step is, is just, you know, extremely active participation with your with your customers. Yeah, I, I think we have to get rid of military metaphors and mechanical metaphors. You know, it's not target audiences or anything like that, and it's not that you're working through a um, you know a four step process or anything like that. Is that we really need to look at it? I mean, if you think about raising a family and you raising your children, I mean, the aim is to make them you know. It, not, just, not not even independent. I mean, there's there's an independent stage, but interdependent as as a contributing member of the family and then later the community and maybe later society. Is that what you're doing? Is that you're enabling them, and that you know really strong families have these strong interconnected, very diverse ties. And and I think that that's the way we need to look at uh, from marketing and sales and, and 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 you know delivering goods and services. Is that we're helping build a community. And uh, the stronger that community is, the stronger we are within it. As long as we behave properly and we and, and we contribute. Do you, do you think a lot of this is? Uh, and we have a young uh, young graduate here in the in the office with us. Um, 
do you think a lot of this is is systemic from you know the the way our education process is that you know all of the education processes that we have were built on you know this huge manufacturing you know uh country uh countries i should say um you know canada and the us are, are both the same way that after world war ii you know everybody was in a factory everybody was screwing in something in a production line and it seemed like that's the way we patterned our education systems after that it was all about efficiency and step-by-step processes and 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 um and is it now that we have to take you know these these folks after they graduate college and and get them to unlearn <laughs> you know what we've been teaching them for the last 16 years well, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, there's, there's uh, Dave Jonasson is a researcher um, who's written some wonderful books on education and particularly on problem-based learning. And uh, he has said that uh, uh, the whole notion of knowledge transfer is, uh, is, is, is a delusion. It's that you can't transfer knowledge from one person to another. And that's the delusion of the education system is that uh, if we deliver content and you take a curriculum, so that will prepare you. And I think when we had sort of a, a, less, a less complex world in certain ways in terms of things were controlled more, you know, before the Cold War we didn't have to uh, uh, compete, or during the Cold War we didn't have to compete with India or with China. Um, Brazil wasn't what wasn't a market, and we weren't all able to uh, talk to people. I mean, you and I, I think, are well. You're in Illinois, so we're probably what 2,000 miles apart, and we're having this conversation that's going who who knows on 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 the internet. So all those all those connections are making it more complex. So yeah, education is. Uh, I think it, it, well, it, it's happening already. Is that education is being experimented with? Uh, one of the largest growth industries in America. Uh, are, are, are private for-profit universities. I think they're $27 billion um, um, valuation uh, right now, and, that, and that's expected to grow exponentially in the next uh, five to ten years. Um, and then you've got things like these um, uh, Coursera, which is a Stanford, um, uh, and a few other universities that are putting courses online, uh, MIT or edX, which is MIT and Harvard, uh, you've got lots of uh, Udacity, which is another one. So you're seeing, you're finally seeing some interest in experimentation education, and uh, yeah, I think that education is right for for that. Unfortunately, there are a whole bunch of people, the same kinds of people as Marty mentioned, who co-opted knowledge management 20 years ago, are trying to co-opt uh, public education as well. So it, these are interesting times. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's take a different turn and and. Uh you know, one of the things, and this is just a sidebar, but um, I'm going to get the folks at MindJet to listen to this interview because uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that company. They basically do like mind mapping applications online, and you know, but but what they're doing, what they're doing that's a little bit different than everybody else's. Their application isn't, let's say, uh, you know, a Visio where you're just you're just creating a diagram with a process on it. They actually are tapping into live conversations and tasks and and everything, so that you know you can build this agile you know process on the fly and in real time you know see it updated. And it seems like you know this 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 conversation would be really applicable um, you know to the work that did that they're doing on on a twofold level. One from a software standpoint, but but also you know I love the idea of you know you were talking about Intuit. You know, clients training, you know, the, and sharing. Uh, no doubt that, you know, here's a company that they're creating, 
millions of processes, you know, their clients are, and uh, and they don't even have a, a clue on, you know, all the interesting and fascinating ways that people are doing that. And um, and if people were sharing those online, and they do have like a, a, a almost like a wiki where people could put them online, um, it, it just seems like increasing the the visibility of that might be a a really great tactic, not just from a marketing standpoint, but to get people to use it more effectively. Um, so that that's just a sidebar. I just want to mention that, um, and and I'm going to introduce them to to you, Harold. Um, and, and maybe we can have some more discussions along those lines off 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 the air. Um, and then uh, for for folks that are listening, um, you do uh, you obviously uh, are putting out some books and and ebooks. Um, you speak on a regular basis. Um, we we said already where folks can find your blog online, and that's jarkey.com, J-A-R-C-H-E.com. Uh, where can people find you as well? Uh, Twitter and and Facebook. Uh, well, Twitter for sure. Um, I've been on Twitter for about four years now, maybe five. Um, and I love Twitter. Twitter. If you're a blogger and you're not on Twitter, you're crazy. I think. Actually, if you're in sales uh, and not on Twitter, you're crazy too. Uh, Twitter is, uh, I think, is, is definitely designed for salespeople. For what, what um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell called the you know the law of the few, the mavens. The connectors and the salespeople for sure. Uh, I'm not on Facebook, so um, for um, uh, Twitter, I'm H Jarky, so H J A R C H E, and uh, so you can connect to me on that. If you, um, the blog for me is really my is my home base. Um, we collect and put our best articles at Internet Time Alliance, all one word, dot com, and that's where, where, with my partners. So I have. Uh, I've got two partners in the San Francisco area, Jay Cross and Clark Quinn, and then 4,000 miles east is me here on the east coast of Canada. And then I have two partners in the UK, uh, Charles Jennings and Jane Hart, and then we have another uh, partner in uh, Munich, uh, Paul Sindbeck-Hampson, and that's the Internet Time Alliance. And, and, and so you see what's nice about that is that you're not just getting me, is that you're getting sort of more of a collective uh, international perspective on, on those things. And, of course, I'm on LinkedIn and Licious, and I can't remember what the other ones are. But Facebook, I actually quit about six months ago. So. Yeah, well, you said you were a lot more efficient with your time, so that was probably a good move. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I was on it to, 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 uh, because of my kids, and I wanted to know what they were doing. And then it kind of got like, you know, Dad, we don't need no creepy stalker here on Facebook. <laughs> and on top of it, it was a time thing, and I just uh, I didn't see much value in it. And I really got sick and tired of Facebook changing their privacy settings every couple of months. Because I try to be able to advise my clients or partners or other people about this stuff. Because, you know, if you're on social media, people are going to ask you, hey, what do you think of Facebook? And now I just say, I'm not on it. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a lot shorter answer. I like that. And you said you're on the east coast east coast of Canada. Whereabouts? I'm in uh, New Brunswick, so I live in a small town, Sackville. It's uh, population five thousand, but we actually have a university here called Mount Allison University. So it's a it's this like tiny, tiny New New Englandish uh, uh, university town, and uh, and then we're actually in a one time zone over from Eastern time. So. Uh, I think we're uh, on a two or three hour difference. You're on Central, I think, so that'd be two hours away from Central. We're taking up. Well, we're on Eastern, but we're still taking up your Friday night. Okay. <laughs> oh no, not at all, not at all. 
And uh, and uh, do you stay local with your speaking, or do you, do you, can where can people find you next? Okay, well, next um, in a week from now, I'll be in Rome, uh, Italy, and I'm keynoting at uh, IEEE. That's I E E E. Uh, they have an advanced uh, learning technology symposium, um, and I'll, I'll be there. Um, some of them are available online. Some of them are recorded. I've, I've done a couple. I've, um, I just came back from Washington, D.C., where I was speaking at a joint conference with Defense Acquisition University and George Mason University. And uh, then for this, and I also run um, a number of workshops online. Just finished one uh, today, actually. So, and that's through the Social Learning Center. Most of it you're going to, if you want to connect, is if you just connect on Twitter or on the blog. A lot of that is there. The About section on my on my website, I, I try to keep up to date with my next speaking engagements, and I always try to tell people about the free ones. Fantastic. Well, I can't thank you enough for for taking the time, uh, Harold. This has been a fascinating conversation, and uh, and it's nice how it it blends well with. You know the most recent conversations that we've been having too. So absolutely, um, and we're um, this, this is an area. Here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, and this is an area that's really uh, near and dear to us. So um, you know, as mentioned, we're we're a huge fan of uh, of what you're doing out there, and um, uh, looking forward to more. Well, I'm looking forward to getting out. You you folks are in Illinois, are you? We're in Indianapolis, in Indiana. Oh, Indianapolis, sorry. Okay. But if you're in uh, Chicago anytime soon, uh, let us know, and, and um, we'll make the trip up. And then I've got friends up in Toronto so uh, and family up in uh, all across Canada. So I, I don't have any family in New Brunswick, though, but um, pretty much every other province I do. Um, so I'll, I'll have to hit you up sometime when, when, when you're traveling, you know, up, up north somewhere. Yeah, definitely, and, and I'll see if I can get a speaking gig at, in the Windy City. I, I love Chicago. I just love looking at the architecture there. Yeah, it's an amazing city. Well, Indianapolis, you might you might like too if you like the um, without the uh, crime rate of Afghanistan <laughs> and uh, probably half the shopping cost. So, uh, but but this 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 city has made some great strides, and we still have that really unique uh, architecture down here as well. So um, this has been fantastic. Just thanks so much, Harold, uh, for taking your time this Friday. Well, thank you. Thank you, folks. Nice meeting you uh, online here, and uh, hope to see you someday. Absolutely. And we'll follow up, Harold, with uh, a link where you can point people to listen to the show or, or you can embed it on your, uh, on your blogs as well. I'll definitely do that. Thanks very much. All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you, sir. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Connect with us anytime at com, And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.